theyeshiva.net. Good morning, Eden. Good morning, everybody. Welcome, welcome. Page 88, second paragraph of Becholza Yuvon Mashon After explaining everything we explained about the process of how Klippa was created in the beginning of creation and what happens as a result of the human choice of Chetei Tzadas, explained at length in the previous classes, and if you have not heard them, I will suggest to please review them, and then you'll be able to understand the continuation with much more clarity. So he continues, Based on all of this, we can understand that which we see, Something that is both fascinating and perplexing and disturbing. Thank you. And that is that the Yetzirah, within each of us, it lurks and it tries so hard with many tachbules, tachbules are tricks, schemes, methods, in order to make the person sin, to make the person err, destroy themselves, do the wrong thing, make the wrong choices. It seems senseless and difficult to understand. It's not a question that you see every day. Why is it so relevant and important to the Yetzirah, to the uh, evil inclination, the negative or the toxic inclination inside of me, that the person should err, should sin, should do destructive things or say destructive things or think destructive things, to the point that he comes up with any conceivable scheme, all different forms of tachbulis, of of schemes, of methods, sometimes very sly and, and, and brilliant in its mechanism to be able to trap the person, to be able to hop the person, to seduce the person. Where did the Yitzhahara get this, uh, this obsession from? They tell a story. It's an anecdotal, it's one of these cute stories. I read it years ago about Reb Chaim Briske when he was a child. Some of these stories, you know, are said about the same person. So I don't know exactly the, you know, the first source of it and the accuracy of it, but the, the insight is very cute. Here there was once early in the morning in the base Halevi, Rabbi Yosef Hagar, Rabbi Yosef Dov Halevi Salavechik, who was Rosh Hashiv in Valajan, and then the Rav of Slutsk, and then the Rav of Brisk, great Lithuanian communities known as the base Halevi. And he had a son, Reb Chaim, became the legendary Reb Chaim Halevi Salavechik, Reb Chaim Brisker, also Rosh Hashiva in Valajan, and later the famous uh, Rav of Brisk. So they tell a story that the Beis Halevi once woke up, Reb Chaim, early in the morning, very early in the morning, to start davening, learning. And Reb Chaim was a child, he didn't want to get out of bed, he wanted to stay in bed. So the Beis Halevi said, 
Learn from your Yetzirah. It's four o'clock in the morning. You don't want to wake up, but your Yetzirah is awake. Your Yetzirah is alert, alive, and well, and vibrant, functioning, full force. <laughs> you want to sleep, but learn from him. Look, he doesn't say it's four o'clock in the morning. What do I have to get up? What do I have to do my work? He's completely in, working with the whole gusto, full gusto and passion and alacrity and zealousness to make sure that you don't do the right thing. This is what he tells you, Chayim, learn from the Yitzhak. He's up early. He said, Chayim told his father, it's not fair to compare me to the Yitzhak. He says, Ichaba Yitzhak. Mein Yitzhak, hat that should tell him not to wake up. I have a Yetzirah. My Yetzirah doesn't have a Yetzirah to, to tell him to go to sleep. So how do you compare? My Yetzirah has free reign. He can do whatever he wants. There's nobody holding him back. The, both the question and the answer are very insightful. What he was saying is, there's somebody, there's something inside of you that's nonstop. Like every opportunity. What did Abi Ibn say about... Uh, Palestinians, he said, they don't, what was his line? They don't miss an opportunity to miss an opportunity. The Yetzirah (laughs) doesn't miss an opportunity to seize the opportunity. If it's four in the morning, if it's two in the morning, if it's 12 in the afternoon, if it's five, if there's an opportunity, he comes jumping at me or jumping at you. So the, the base Halibut, learn from this. Learn, learn, learn how to, how to, (laughs) how to run a company. You don't run a company a couple hours a day. He's always uh, at a moment's call, and maybe even less. The Yitzhak is right there to do his job. He says, Learn how you have to do your job. So Chaim says, oh, What are you comparing? The Yitzhak doesn't have a Yitzhak, and nobody's holding him back. Somebody's holding me back. So the question here that the Rebbe raises in this Mimer is What does the Yitzhak want? What's this obsession that a person should sin? to the point of every possible opportunity is seized by the Yetzirah to do this. You might say, <laughs> the Yetzirah doesn't like the person. He loathes the person. And therefore, his job is to make sure you do what's bad for you. This is your, He's your enemy. And that's what you do to your enemy. Your enemy, you want him to make every possible mistake and fail in every possible way. That's what you do to your enemy, right? He's an enemy. He hates you. He so zain, but that's not an answer. He ne hoko for time, my boy. This itself requires a reason. What does he have against me? I did something to him. Why does he loathe, despise the person so much that he wants him to sin? Now, the good news that we're learning, from, the good news is, and this is a very important principle, that he identifies it as a Yetzirah. In other words, the sin is not innate. We don't believe in original sin. You know, you're a sinner, you're a bad person, you like to destroy yourself. We, we don't believe that. We don't believe that the person innately and intrinsically is bad and sinful. As the Pasuk says, Yetzer, in the beginning of, in, in, in the beginning of Tyre and Bereshis, Yetzer lev ha'adam ramin urov. There's a Yetzer, there's an inclination. It's almost like the Gemara sometimes compares it to an angel. It's like the spiritual persona, personality that's inside of me 
and it wants to make me sit. So it's, it's not me. It's something inside of me, and that's why I have the choice to observe it and not define myself by it. The moment I can observe that it's not me, I can already choose to say, I'm really Yetzirah. I know you have an interesting idea, but I don't have time for this. I don't have energy for this. I don't have resources for this. Life got to move on. Life got to go. But where does this come from, from his perspective? What does he have against the person? What did I do to him? What, he's taking revenge? I did something to him. There's something here in the mechanism that is so strange. I understand you have an enemy. Wants to destroy you. So you want him to make every single mistake so he shouldn't destroy you. What's the Yetzirah's obsession? It's an interesting question. He's trying to psychoanalyze the Yetzirah. Usually we're trying to psychoanalyze the person. Hey, we're trying to psychoanalyze the Yetzirah. What's what's in his mind? Well, the Fiyamal based on the above, we begin to have an understanding. He's going to go an explanation. It's going to be you for a while. It's going to elaborate on it. We're not going to finish it today because it continues. But we start the process. The life of everything, everything in the world comes from holiness, from Kedusha. And we understand this. We say in davening every day from Divri Hayamim, Va'ata Mechaye Eskula. You give life to everybody, everything, to everything. Because the life force of everything is the divine energy that sustains it, creates it, animates it, vivifies it. And therefore, the chios, the internal structure and soul of every single thing in our cosmos and really in all the worlds comes from one place and one place only. And that is the source of life. The source of life is the creator, Kedusha, which is holiness. And this includes everything. So the Yetzirah, his energy also comes from holiness. There's no energy without that. The engine of life, the fuel of life, this is Kedusha, it's holiness. And Klippus, Klippus again are the shells, the husks, which represents realities that conceal and obscure the divine light, the divine presence, the divine energy, it also gets its chiyas from Kedusha. Klippa can't function for one moment without Kedusha. I'll say the definition of Klippa is the delusion that holiness doesn't exist or is not real. That also comes from holiness. The fact that there can be a shell that operates and functions and lives, the shell is also from Kedusha. Or to give our example with the fruit, Nobody's going to say that the DNA of the seed is responsible only for the fruit and it's not responsible for the husk. The shell of the fruit is some uh, aberration, some random aberration that came from, no, from nowhere. The, the DNA blueprint in the fruit, in the seed of the fruit, the genome that includes the DNA encompasses and is a blueprint for every single component of the human body, including the epidermis, including the clip, including the skin. The same is true with the fruit. Everything, the chiyos, comes from the spiritual DNA, so to speak, which is shem havaya, which is kedusha, it's holiness. 
ובדרך כלל קבולוס החיוס מן הקדושה היא הידי ביטל דווקא. וכמו שכוסוב ירס השם לחיים. Generally, the prerequisite to receive life from holiness is bitl. What does bitl mean? Bitl means alignment with holiness. Bitl means recognizing that my eye is a conduit and a manifestation of divine energy. That's what bitl means. The word bitl literally means nullification, humility, self-nullification. What does it mean here? How do I get chiyus from holiness? I get chiyus by opening myself to up to it. What does it mean opening myself up to it? Realizing the truth that enoid mulvadai, that is one reality in the world, and I am a conduit for that reality. And when I realize that, I align myself with this source of the energy, I can be a conduit for the energy. If you want to give the simplest example, I think I've given this in the past. I want my refrigerator to function. What does it mean my refrigerator to function? I want my refrigerator to become a facilitator of electricity. I can't have it unplugged. If I unplug the refrigerator from the outlet, what happens? The refrigerator can't do its job. It's dead. And therefore, the food inside the refrigerator, inside the freezer gets ruined. What do I have to do? I have to plug the refrigerator into the outlet. What does this mean? What am I saying? I'm saying there's an electrical source. And I need the refrigerator to be plugged in to that source so that that electricity could flow via the wires, could flow through the refrigerator and have it function. If I unplug it, I detach it from that source, shine, done. The refrigerator could be alive, quote-unquote, alive as a refrigerator is alive, right? As, in as much as it sees itself, or I see it, as a facilitator of the electricity. If I say, no, the refrigerator is good on its own, you're wonderful on your own as a big, as a shmata. No problem. And the same is true with everything. My laptop, my computer is dead, and I have to plug it in. Oh, you want it to function. You want it to be able to function as a computer. No problem. But you need to connect it to its source. You can't have the cake and eat it too. If you disconnect it to the source, you disconnect it to the source. You're not going to get energy from the source. <laughs> I can't unplug the phone or unplug the computer and say, why is it not alive? <laughs> it, would, it would be the person in a person's life, a person... God forbid, amputating a part of their body or removing the brain and saying, let the body function. Function from what? All functionality and life comes from the brain. If if God forbid, the brain is not functional or there's no brain, the brain, the central nervous system is not functioning, no other component of the body could function. So it's not like a relationship with the brain is a nice thing. It's also a nice thing. But a relationship with the brain is the prerequisite to life. So says the Rebbe here, the same as, this is a cosmic truth. Generally, how do you get chiyus from, the only way you can get chiyus in the world is from the source of all electricity. The source of all electricity is holiness, divinity, divine energy. How do you get energy? That's the only source of everything. And how do you get energy? Through bitl. Bitl means I plug in. I plug myself into the source. I'm aligned with the source. That's what's called bitl. The Pasuk says in Mishle, Mishle Perikites, I just want to open it. We like looking up Sukkim. Mishle Perikites, Pasuk Chav Gimel. Yiras Adenoi Lechayim V'saveya Yolin Bal Yipokedra. Basically, Shlema Melech, in this uh, chapter in Mishle, earlier he says, Shema Eitzu V'kabal Musul Mantechkem B'achiri Secha. Listen to my advice and accept my rebuke so that you should be wise in your future. 
So now a father speaks to a son. Many schemes in the heart of the human, but the advice of God stands. Taivas Adam Chazdai the The greatest craving for another human being is for their kindness. What we love about other people more than anything is their kindness. Taivas Adam, what people crave, what they want in a person is Chazdai, his kindness, his grace. What a beautiful Pasik. And somebody who's poverty stricken is in a far better state than a lawyer, even if he's rich. In other words, somebody who's just not dishonest, he can have everything, but it's it's worthless. People want somebody who's honest, somebody who doesn't lie, somebody who keeps his word and is a person of integrity. And the next Pasuk says, The fear of God, the awe of God, leads you to life. Yiras Hashem L'chaim, it leads you to life. And he says, and such a person is satiated, is, is, is filled up. He's satiated, and therefore he can dwell at night in peace without being captured and trapped by evil. What is this Pasuk saying? This Pasuk is saying, Yiras Hashem, the awe of God L'chaim, it's the road to life. And one who, it, it satiates you to the point that you could be relaxed. What do we learn from here? What does it mean, Yiras Hashem L'chaim? Yiras Hashem L'chaim means, the awe of God brings me to more life. You would think, it's a little counterintuitive. Generally, awe or fear is something that makes you small. It's something that diminishes you. It's something that maybe drains you from life. It depletes your life force. But Shleim HaMelech tells us, no, Yiras Hashem L'chaim. Yiras Hashem is to life. It's the road to life. It's the path to life. Why? Because generally fear is an emotion that depletes my energy. But Yiras Hashem is the bittle to the source of life. And the bittle to the source of life doesn't diminish life. It increases life. It enhances life. In fact, it's the exclusive opportunity to be able to become a channel for life. A conduit through which the life flows through you. So, so this is this is so such a beautiful diuk in the Pasik. Yiras Hashem is Lichayim. In when you're dealing with bitl to kedusha, the more bitl, the more life. Or as we say, we say in many shurim, the more bitl, the more self. The more bitl, the more alive, the more vibrant. And here we go again, we come again to define bitl. Right? Often people define bitl as you know, you're a shmata, you're nobody, you're self-nullified, you're a garnished, you're an idiot, you're a loser, etc. Here we're saying the contrary. What's bittel? It's like the refrigerator saying, what are you plugging me in for? I'm a loser, I'm a shmata, don't plug me into anything else. Look, I'm a big guy, I'm much more powerful than than the, this, this, this foolish plug. Look how big I am, I'm big, I'm muscular, I'm powerful. It's a joke. You're big, but there's nothing here. <laughs> Plugging in is not diminishing you. It's actually allowing you to be a refrigerator. Plugging in the computer is not diminishing the computer. It's allowing the computer to actually be brilliant, to do what a computer does best, which is incredible. We all know what computers can do. (laughs) It's incredible, right? Supercomputers, but I have to plug you in. Not because I don't believe in you, but because there's a source of electricity. 
So Yiras Hashem means plugging yourself in to the divine, to the Rebbeinu Shalalem. That's awe of Hashem. Awe of Hashem is I have a bitl. A bitl is a humility there that I realize that my identity can live and exist only from Kedusha. So generally, what's the path to get chius from the only source of life? Always bitl. Here comes the crisis. But clippers don't want to have bitl. They don't want to be plugged into the source. You know why? Because then they cease to exist. So you have here an oxymoron. Nothing exists outside of Kedusha. But if Klippa would admit that, it would be Klippa. Definition of Klippa is that the eye is divorced from Hashem's eye. That's the definition of Klippa. Klippa means a shell, a husk, that conceals and obscures the reality of Einaid Malvade. It obscures the reality of oneness. Klippa doesn't want Bittl. If it would want Bittl, meaning if it would be comfortable in nullifying the shell and the husk, it would have all the energy in the world. It would be fully alive, but then it wouldn't be a clipper. <laughs> it wouldn't be a clipper, right? So so you have here a very interesting situation. The identity of clipper, the true identity of clipper is Kedusha, because there's no other reality. On the other hand, if clipper would acknowledge that, it wouldn't be clipper anymore. <laughs> the whole definition of clipper is that it obscures that. So we have a problem here. <laughs> They don't want to have bittel, but they want to get chiyas from holiness. So they want the cake, and they want to eat it too. They want to be plugged in without being plugged in. They want to get the energy of holiness, because there's no other source of energy. It's not like you can go anywhere else. It's not like, I'm, I'm, you're leaving my house, you're going to another house, you'll get all the food you need. There's only one place to get energy in the world. There's only one energy source. There's only one energy field in uh, contemporary terminology. But I don't want to go to that energy field because I need my bittle. But I need that energy. I want to get that energy. So, ooh, so this is now a survival issue. What's the solution? There's only one solution. Therefore, they are so animated and driven to cause the person to sin. Because when that happens they can finally receive a nice dosage of energy without bitl. As we learned earlier, you remember that when the Jew engages in something that is um, fragmented from the divine will, when we lose that sense of harmony and oneness, which is what an Aver is, I transport myself, Maiver, I transport myself. From the domain of oneness, of holiness, to the domain of unholiness. So the energy, I rupture. Rupture, right? The word nekev we explain is the shem Hashem. So that the blood, the chius, which is the cosmic life force, the cosmic blood of the universe, just like the human body lives through the blood. The blood is called the soul, hadamu nefesh. That's why we're so respectful of blood. That's why we don't eat blood, as the Pasuk says a few times. So there's the blood flow, the circulatory system of the individual human organism. There's the circulatory system of every living organism, of every mammal or, or, or other living animals. And then there's the circulatory system of the world, of the planet, and of the cosmos, and of the spiritual world. And they all reflect each other. I don't know if you remember, we once had a shir about white blood cells and red blood cells. 
and the ratio between white blood cells and red blood cells and why the white blood cells are white and the red blood cells are red, even though the white blood cells, their function is to combat foreign invaders, infections, viruses, bacteria, and dangerous elements that want to destroy the body. And the red blood cells, their function is to carry oxygen and nutrients to all of the cells of the body. So apparently one should have been white and the other one should have been red because white is the color of chesed, red is the color of gvura. And we spoke about the ratio. And Our point was that every phenomenon in human biology is really a reflection of the cosmic divine circulatory system. We spoke about mitzvah's essay, mitzvah's lysisa. Red blood cells are compared to the mitzvah's essay. White blood cells are compared to the mitzvah's lysisa. One is positive engagement. One is abstaining from negative, battling the infections that happen in life. So the white blood cells represent the function of Judaism as lysisa, meaning what you have to stay away from, what you have to protect yourself from, battling the negative that may come and destroy you. And the red blood cells represents being engaged in the positive. And that's why the ratio of white blood cells and red blood cells is amazingly small. I think it's like 700 to 1. Where's the cardiologist? <laughs> because the white blood cells are so much less. There's like 37 trillion red blood cells and... I don't know, a hundred or a little more, a hundred billion white blood cells. I don't remember the number exactly, but you completely can't compare because the main focus of Yiddishkeit is what? Asetoiv. The main focus of life is to live a good life, a positive life, productive life, to be involved in life. We do need to combat the negative, but that's not the focus. The obsession is not negative. The obsession is not the, the abstaining and the fighting. The obsession is the positive. What was our point then? With some other details, my point is that our circulatory biological system is a reflection of the cosmic circulatory system. And therefore, every Aveira, what does it do? It takes dam, it takes blood, it's shviches dam. We spill the blood, the blood that belongs to the Adam of Kedusha, shoifech dam ha-adam, be-adam. As explained in the previous classes, with Titus perforating, stabbing the holy curtain, separating the Chechel from the Kaddish HaKadoshim and blood oozing out when Titus came into the Beis HaMikdash during at the end of the three weeks of the of the Bein HaMetzarim, which we began a few days ago. That's the way that Klippe can get Chiyos. If I can get the person to give me his soul, if I can get the person to give me his consciousness, if I can get the person to give me his time and energy, there is so much life over there. There is so much chiyos over there. This is how the Yetzirah and the Klippus can live and live comfortably. That's why it's so important. For them, it seems like survival. This is what the Gemara says. The end of the first Pedic. The Gemara is there speaking about the sugi of Eiv. So it says that the Yitzhahara comes down. It's like this angel. It comes down. And mata. It makes the person wander and get lost. Mata in Yiddish is a blunget. If a blunget the man. She wants you to get lost. To take the wrong path. And to get lost in the wilderness and the forest. Which means psychologically to be able to make decisions that get you lost. Lost means you're alienated from your path. You're alienated from your destiny. You're alienated from where you come from and where you're going. You're just lost. You're trying to find yourself. That's what the Yitzhahara wants you. To live a life in which there's chaos, there's fragmentation, there's alienation. 
your path is unclear, confusion. And then he goes back up, and he provokes. He runs to Hashem and he provokes Kitrugim. He wants to prosecute you. He wants you to be punished. What is this all about? Well, he has nothing better to do for a living. Let him, let him, let him do something else. But this is the process. First, he goes down and he provokes the person to sin. And then he goes back up, so to speak, to heaven, and he becomes the great prosecutor, the chief prosecutor. He does everything. It's not like in our human law system where the person who incites you to sin is one person, and then the prosecutor may be completely somebody else. Here it's the same guy, the same Yitzhahara who makes the problem, then he blames you for the problem. <laughs> He's the one who rates you on the Tices you and incites you and provokes you to do wrong, and then he becomes the chief prosecutor. Beautiful word from the Baal Shem Tov, Gavaldik Avart. It says in Parshas Mishpatim, Al Tashas Yodchim Rasha, Lius Eid Chamas. Do not join with a wicked person to become a false witness. Meaning, and this happened often in history, it still happens, right? Somebody who's guilt innocent. But there's a witness who's ready to lie, but he needs a second witness, because usually they need shnei I'll pee you need two witnesses. So he comes to you, and he hires you. He'll give you a nice sum of money. He or somebody else comes to you, and you become a witness, and you lie. So the Pasuk says, Do not join your hands, meaning don't join another wicked person to be a false liar. If you have not seen it, then you cannot vouch for it, even if a hundred people told you it happened. But to go lie and say, I saw so-and-so, you're not allowed to do it. And you're not allowed to join forces with another aide who's Hamas, who's a thug, who's robbing the other person because he's lying or she's lying. Because he's lying. He's deceptive. It says the Baal Shem Tev, it's in, uh, I think, Baal Shem Tev He says a beautiful word. Every Pasuk is also understood on different, many different levels. He says... Who's the eight Hamas in life? Who is that one witness who wants to rob and wants to destroy? It's the Yitzhahara. Says the Baal Shem Tev. The Yitzhahara goes down and he provokes people to sin. And as we learned here from Baba Basra Tezayin, Oily goes up and Mekatrik, he becomes the prosecutor. The problem is Hashem says, listen, I'm bound by the Torah. And Torah says, you need two witnesses. You're only one witness. I need two witnesses. I don't know if the person did it or not. Give me a second eight. So what happens is Baal Shem Tov says, Sidi Yitzhahara starts searching. He goes around, he has antennas, and he starts searching. And when he hears somebody telling a negative story about somebody else, the Yitzhahara says, oh, I just got my second witness. And he uses your testimony against this person. You're telling this negative story about somebody else. You become the second witness. Says the Baal Shem Tev, before you open your mouth to speak about other people, remember, ask yourself, by telling this story, am I going to be joining? Am I going to become a mechutten? Am I going to become a best friend, a partner with the Yitzhahara to serve together with him as an Eid Chamas, as an aid who deprives another person? And even though in this case I'm not lying, because Loshon Hara is not Maitzi Shemra. Maitzi Shemra is, I slander a person with a lie. Loshon Hara could be true. I'm just, just gossiping. Says the Balshamdu before you open your mouth to speak. Ask yourself, am I joining hands with Ayatza Haralias Eid Khamas? He's looking for a second partner. Is that really what you want to do with your life? 
you come to shul in the morning, or you pick up the telephone in the morning, in the afternoon, in the evening, and you're talking to somebody, you're having a shmooze or a conversation in the street or in the market or in the office or wherever it is, on email, comments, etc., ask yourself one question. Am I joining right now forces with the Yitzhahara to become the second witness to indict the person? Probably you don't want to be a partner with the Yitzhahara. What is this process that the Yitzhahara is doing? So he explains, First he goes down and entices you. Then he goes up and he becomes the prosecutor. What's his prosecution? He says, The life that he received through this person's sin, he deserves. He says, The right thing, according to the letter of the law, I deserve the life force that was spilled, the blood that was spilled from the place of holiness, and it went into the Klippus and the Yitzhahara, I deserve it. That's his tatna. Oilo Mekatrik, I deserve it. It really belongs to me. That's his tatna. That's the Oilo Mekatrik. What does this mean? He'll explain. Obeying and explain all of this. He named before become a Mekaymas. I'll take some questions. I did not understand your last point. Okay, it'll become clear. It's just we're, we're starting the idea. If it's going to be developed, so it'll become clear. We're not we're not done yet. So God willing, just a little patience, and it's going to become clear. Next question: Is it true that the sense and use of arrogance is only proper post bittle? Well, yeah, even the arrogance that we were talking about, you need some bittle because if arrogance is just, I'm at the center of reality and I become a self-centered human being, really narcissistic, then it's not going to help for anything. It's just destructive. So the arrogance that we're talking about is more about the self-esteem and the confidence that a person has to regard themselves as valuable so that the Yitzhahara, when he says, Mi ani umani, you're nothing, you're nobody, you can't be an Oyved Hashem, that voice is dismissed. So the arrogance that we're talking about is not stam arrogance and pompousness in a negative way. It's We're talking about yeshes that is actually good and productive. I did not understand your answer regarding the process to identify if a thought comes from Kedusha or Klippa. You said one has to see where the thought leads you to alignment with God or disalignment. But if the thought is telling you it is Kedusha, then one thinks this is alignment with the Almighty, like by Kairach. And even though in reality it's the opposite. So how do you explain this important concept? Hmm. That's why I didn't just say you have to look if the thought, if the voice brings you to alignment with the Almighty. You have to see the actions that it produces and the words that it produces and the thought process that it produces. So this is actually a very practical litmus test. If it's bringing me to actions that bring more light into the world and more godliness into the world and more truth into the world and more love into the world, then it means it's coming from holiness. If it brings me to words 
that bring in again more light and more compassion and more truth and more godliness and more kedusha into the world. That's the voice. The same is true with my thoughts. And if not, not. So you have to always look at the results. Let's learn further inside. Be an Indian explanation is the hinim of It's explained in various places. The difference between Kedusha and Klippa is Kedusha has a chayis atzmi. It means it has an essential life identity. Its life comes from itself. It's, it's, it's essentially, it's intrinsically alive. Klippa... The way they are after the sin of the Eitz When Toiv and Ra got mixed, they don't have their own life. Their whole life comes from Kedusha, through sin. And in parentheses, he says, we're not talking about the way the Klippa was on its own when Hashem created it. Then the Klippa did have its own life. Because the definition of Klippa was like the husk that protects a fruit. It's outside of the fruit. And it protects the fruit. And it has its energy to be able to do that. But the way Klippa becomes distorted where it becomes a substitute for good, it becomes mixed into good, it identifies itself as Kedusha, that happens after the Chetet Tzadaz, that clip doesn't have its own life, its whole life it gets through sin, through Kedusha, not its own, it doesn't have its own chayas. This is explained in many sources. In Nister, but what does this really mean? You can say, just like Klippa doesn't have its own intrinsic life force, holiness also doesn't have its own intrinsic life force. Nothing in the world is alive. The only way it's alive is by receiving energy from Kedusha. So just like Klippa doesn't have its own life, it's not really alive, and the whole life it gets is from Kedusha, everything in the world, even things that are not Klippa, anything that exists, doesn't have a life on its own, it all lives because it gets its chayis from Hashem, from Kedusha. Ukemaimer Elio, Elio Anavi tells us, this is the introduction to a section of Zoyar called Tikune Zoyar, which 70 interpretations on the word Bereshis, so Leo says over there, V'chad ant t'stalik minayu, Ishtaru kulushmon, K'gufa b'lanishmosa. When you, Hashem, departs from them, they all remain, all the names remain like a body without a soul, a corpse. V'imkein ma'o efesh b'kedusha l'klippa. The Zoya there is not talking about klippa. The Zoya there is talking about kedusha. It's talking about all the spheroids, all the characteristics, all the kaiches, all the, the various sacred characteristics in life, chesed, gvurit, eferis, netzach, he says, if you depart from it, all the names remain like a body without a soul, like a corpse. So why do we say that Kedusha has its own chius? It's, it's essential alive. It's intrinsically alive. And Klippa is not intrinsically alive. It's like clothes without an emperor in my, uh, in my uh, distorted, in my uh, phrase that I chose the other day, or I saw it once. Why? Kedusha also. Who the explanation is, what does it mean that something is intrinsically alive and something is not intrinsically alive? What does it mean? We say Kedusha is intrinsically alive. It's not intrinsically alive. It's a corpse. Everything is a corpse. It needs, it needs the soul that gives it animation, just like Klippa. 
And here we begin addressing a question, what does it mean to be intrinsically alive? It's true. Everything in order to be alive, it needs the will and therefore the life force of the Creator. Even Kedusha. The whole Seder Ishtashlus, the whole evolutionary system of holiness, all the worlds, from the highest worlds to the lower worlds, and we're talking about Kedusha, not Klippa. We're talking about the world of Atsilis and the world of Bria and the world of Yitzhira and the divine energy that creates chambers and souls and angels and all of the spiritual beings or the physical beings. But the whole cosmic order, it's called Seder HaYishtalshalus, it's called the cosmic order. From the highest spiritual worlds to the lowest physical worlds, it's called the cosmic order, Seder HaYishtalshalus. It all could live only because of the ruts and the will of the Creator. The Rambam explains this. This is the opening of the Rambam, the first chapter of Mishnah Tariyad HaChazakala Rambam, which we will be starting very, very soon. According to the new cycle of Rambam, we begin the first chapter of Yisaydi HaTari Rambam on Rish of. That's in around 10 days. <laughs> 10 days, exactly. Rish of, we begin till then is the introductions to the Mishnah Torah. So the Rambam says, Hashem Elikim Emes. The Rambam explains the Pasik in Yirmiya, chapter Yud, Jeremiah 10.10, Yirmiya Perik Yud, Pasik Yud, Vashem Elikim Emes. Hashem, God, is true. Says what does it mean he's true? That he doesn't say lies? Says the Rambam, he himself is true. Nobody else is true. We're all lies. What does it mean? So the Rambam says, what the Pasuk is telling us is, no other being in the world, even holy beings, could be angels, could be souls, could be the highest holy, beautiful ideas, characteristics, spiritual or physical organisms, or life forces, or identities, or realities, or, or any type of creature, physical, spiritual, even the epitome of holiness. Says the Rambam, no one has a MS, nobody can be defined as truth, kamitase, like his truth. This is what the Torah means when it says, There's nobody. There's nothing outside of him. Moshe Rabbeinu says in Parshas Vashanan, Right? Remember the Pasuk. It's the Kriya Satoyer of Tishabov. You and Parshas Vashanan, which is also after Tishabav, you have shown the world that Hashem is Elikim, ain't Oid There's nobody else outside of him. There's nothing else. Says the Ram, what does this mean? There's a world. So the Rambam, Kiloimar, Ainsham, Motsui, Emes, Movade, There's nothing outside of Hashem that is Emes as he is. Of course, there's a world. Hashem created the world. Bereshis, Baralikim, Zeshamayim, Besar. It's Genesis 1 1. But it means ain't Oid Movade. There's nothing that can be compared to his Emes. In terms of truth, true existence, what's true existence? Only Hashem. Ain Oid, there's nothing else that can be compared to that truth. As the Rambam explains earlier, this is all Mishnah Torah, Hilchas Yisoyde HaTorah, the first section of Allah's of Rambam, the basics of Torah, chapter 1. The Rambam says, if not for Hashem, everything else ceases to exist. But without anything else, Hashem still exists. He does not get nullified if the world would be nullified because they all need Him and He doesn't need them. In other words, everything else, its existence is voluntary based on Hashem's desire. If Hashem wants it to be here, it's here. 
So it's not an intrinsic reality. It's not a necessary reality. It's here because Hashem wants it to be here. Hashem himself is an intrinsic reality. It is reality. That's why when we think of Hashem as a person or a being or some big cloud or some big force, it's not really what it is. We often have a conception of Hashem that's very immature, very childlike. It's like some you know, big cloud or big heart or big muscles or big eyes or some big force in heaven. We're not talking about it. We're talking about the essence of reality, the essence of reality, the core of all reality and the source of all reality. So the Rambam says, there's nothing outside of him that has that nature of MS because everything in the world is conditioned on his existence. Hashem wants it to be, so it is. Hashem himself, if the rest of the world is not here, he's not going to get nullified. So everything needs him, but he doesn't need anything else. That's why it's called Vashem Eloikim Emes. You can't compare anything in the world to that Emes. Because the definition of real truth is that it's essential. And therefore it's timeless. And it's always here. And nothing could nullify it. It's the ultimate truth. It's not a circumstantial truth. Everything else in the world is circumstantial. Hashem wants it to be here, so therefore it's here. And we're talking here about even the most spiritual and sacred and aloof and heavenly reality. Not only the physical reality, physical reality as well. Nothing has that definition of emes. Unbelievable, amazing words of the Rambam. What do we learn from this? So all existences, if the Ratzin, if the will of the desire of the Creator would depart from them, they would become naught and nothing, just like they were before creation. They were not here before creation. Why? He didn't want them to be here. Even when they're here, what makes them here? They're not intrinsically here. They don't have to be here. They're not essentially here. They're here because the Rebbeinu Shalom wants them to be here. And as long as that Ratzin, that desire exists... Their existence is here, and that's why you can't compare their emes to his emes. Vashem alikim emes. The only real emes is Hashem alikim. And when we think about this, these words of the Rambam are even more emphatic than the Zayar. This is even deeper than what we learned before from the introduction of the Kuni Zayar, that when you depart from them, they remain like a corpse. Why? Because a corpse is not alive, but it still exists. A corpse exists, and a boulder, a rock exists. It doesn't have the neshama of the person, but a goof still exists, at least on some level, and even after decomposition, you have the skeleton. The mashroom is actually yishari goof. In Tikkunis, are you saying, if you leave them, they will be a goof without a soul, but at least they'll be a goof. Shazal b'siluk, er hakav. Because the Zoyer is talking about the light of the kav. The light of the Kav, very basic, very brief. We mentioned it earlier in the Maimer. Represents in Kabbalah post-Simpson. After Hashem suspended his infinite life, he drew, he communicated a little line, a line, a Kav means a line, a ray of light to create and sustain, sustain all of the universes. So the Zoyer says, without that Kav, you have everything as a body without a soul. But without the will of Hashem, you don't have a corpse without a soul. You have nothingness just like pre-creation. In other words, without the Eir HaKav, you don't have a revelation of energy, but you can still have a goof, a dead body. That you don't need the Eir HaKav for. The Eir HaKav means it should be a gili, a revelation of light, like a living organism where you see a life force. But if there's no Ratzin HaBayde, if there's no will of Hashem, 
then it's not just you have a body without a soul. Then you have nothing. You have ayin ve'efes mamash. That's what the Rambam is telling us. If so, we have here a very fundamental question. Why does it say in Svarim of Machshava, of Ashkafa, of Nister, of Kabbalah, of Chassidus, that Kedusha is intrinsically alive and Kalipa is not intrinsically alive? That's not true. The Rambam here is telling us that you can't say that about anything that it's intrinsically alive. Ein oid mulvadoi, only about him. Nonetheless, there's a fundamental difference between Kedusha and Kedusha. Why? They're both alive, not intrinsically, because Hashem wants it to be. The answer is, and this becomes a key, a critical idea in understanding, what's the difference between living a life of holiness and living a life of unholiness? It's not just doing the right thing or doing the wrong thing. What we're going to explore is it's the difference between being alive and not being alive. Or being truly alive or only appearing to be alive. That's going to be the difference. (laughs) And that's a different life. It's not just you're doing the right thing, you're doing the wrong thing. Or if you live with Gdush, you'll get reward. If you live with Klippi, you'll get punished. That's just the superficial layers of it. It's the question is, what makes you alive? A life of Kedusha, you, you're alive. <laughs> you're alive. And a life of Klippa, you're trying to fake it. <laughs> you're trying to, to make believe you're alive. It's really a very, very, it's, it's a beautiful and incredible insight. Trying to fake it and make believe you're alive. Anybody knows that feeling? You're not alive but you're trying to fake it. You're desperately wanting to be alive and you play the game. You make a show every moment I'm putting up a show that I'm alive. That's Klippa. Kedusha means I'm alive. And it manifests itself in so many different ways, but that's the Nakuda. And that's the question he's asking. That doesn't seem to be true. Nobody is alive. Everyone is alive because God wants them to be alive. Klippa is alive, the Yitzhah is alive, because Hashem wants you to be alive, and Kedusha is alive, because Hashem wants you to be alive. He says, no. That's what it would seem. That's the question here. But the truth is, it's not that way. Kedusha means you're intrinsically alive, and Klippa means you're intrinsically not alive. You always have to fake your life. And therefore, you always have to borrow your life from somebody else. And therefore, you're never really fully alive, because you know that it's not you. Now, I think we can all relate to this on a psychological and emotional level, what this means. There's really two ways to live. <laughs> There's probably more, but here we're talking to. One is, I'm trying very hard to make believe I'm alive. And one is, I'm actually alive. Or to put it in different words, the question is, either you're busy dying or you're busy living. There's no other two options. There's no other options. Either I'm busy dying or I'm busy living. A life of Kedusha means I'm busy living. A life of Klippa means I'm busy dying, but I'm desperately trying to make believe that my dying is a form of living. And that's a very sad way of life. It's a pathetic way of life. What do we learn from here? And this is where we always emphasize the idea of Pnimius HaTayra, the soul of Tyre. When we talk about holiness and unholiness, we could talk about it in terms of this is what God wants. This is what God doesn't want. This is what the terrorist says you should do. This is what the terrorist says you shouldn't do. This will give you Ganeid and this will give you Gehenna. This will give you good things in the future world. There may be a couple of candies in this world and this will bring you bad things in the future world even though you may have good things in this world. So it's that very 
it's it, 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 it's all true, but it's a more superficial distinction. The Pnimius of Taira is saying, let's put Kedusha and Klippa under a microscope. That's what we want to do. And when you put it under a microscope, you're going to see it's not just for this you'll be rewarded, for this you'll be punished. No, it's different realities. Reward and punishment is just a manifestation. It's a symptom. When you put Kedusha under a microscope, you put Klippa under a microscope, you see it's not the same realities. This is alive. And this is trying to make believe it's alive. And it's trying very hard. And sometimes it works very well for a while. <laughs> it deceives you. And it can even deceive other people. You can't fool everybody all the time. But you could fool a lot of people some of the time. And you could certainly fool yourself a lot. It makes believe it's alive. But since it's not alive, therefore the consequences of it is, ultimately, you remain, you're you're left outside to hang dry on your own, numb and dead. That's the result. When we speak about punishment and reward, it's not the, okay, I'll punish you, I'll reward you. It's a direct result of what you invested your money in. If you invested $10 billion into Bernie Madoff's uh, Ponzi schemes, what are you going to be left with? In your Baba would say, Taitabankas or Bupkis, you're going to be left with zero. Why? There was so many dividends. There was unbelievable interest that was being made, so much revenue that was made. It was garnished. It looked on paper that way. He gave, he sent you he sent you a beautiful email with a, with an Excel sheet of how much money you made, but it was garnished. It looked good. It looked great. But at some point, the truth got exposed. And so many people lost millions and millions and millions of dollars, as we all know the story. But it's a very good metaphor. Why? There was nothing there. It was no substance whatsoever. And then there is, I put my money into something that's really generating income. So I'm left with something. So Kedusha is really alive. There is real substance there. Klippa is dead. There's no Chiyosatzmi. It makes believe it's alive. And that's what happens for us in life. There's two ways of living. One is I'm always trying to find a way to make believe that I'm alive. <laughs> it's called entertainment, distractions. So I do this and I run here, I run here. I need validation from you. I need compliments from you. I need money. I need status. I need food. I need drugs. I need websites. I need this entertainment. I need this distraction. I need this substance. I'll abuse myself with this substance. Here I'm binging. Here I'm flattering, here I'm texting, here I'm WhatsApping, here I'm on Netflix, here I'm listening to videos, here I'm going to this link and that link. But what is it really? I'm running away from me. Why am I running away from me? Because the worst thing for me is to stay with me. Because I stay with me, I realize that I'm dead. And I desperately need to feel that I'm alive. I was speaking to somebody the other day, so he told me that, he smokes weed. He smokes up with weed around 15 times a day. The moment he wakes up, the moment he wakes up, before Maidani, before Negelvasa, before anything else, priority. He has to become high. And he says, he runs his business that way. <clears throat> and he told me, he says, there's no thrill like the thrill of speaking to a top executive in a top company or to the manager of a huge bank, and I am completely, completely smashed and stoned. 
I'm completely not somber. I'm just on a high and I'm talking to them and I am so uninhibited. And for him, this was the thrill of life. What is that about? When you're talking to him, it looks like he's on top of the world. He's dead. Emotionally, he's dead. He can't be with himself for even 20 seconds. You wake up in the morning, people are fresh in the morning. You know, the Balatanya has a mimer. We have to learn it one day. It's a very short mimer. That when a person wakes up in the morning, naturally, there is a state of happiness. Because that moment, the energy the energy flows through you. And whenever the energy flows through you, you're automatically happy. And he says that's why all animals and plants and bushes and trees and shrubs are happy. <laughs> Interesting. Under normal circumstances. Why? Because they don't have complications with their ego. He says then, after you wake up, you start having complications with your ego. You become self-conscious. You become miserable. The moment this person wakes up, He's already, he can't face himself. Life of Kedusha doesn't mean a life. There's a difference between religion and Kedusha. <laughs> and I'm saying this with sensitivity. There's a difference between being frum and living a life of Kedusha. I can live a life of religion. I do everything the religion says. Here we're talking about living a life of Kedusha. It's a life in which you're a conduit for divine energy. Then you're intrinsically alive. And then there's a life of clip in which I'm not intrinsically alive. Now the big question is, it's not true. Nothing is intrinsically alive. Everything is dead, if not for God wanting it. We're saying that's not the case. Kedusha is different than clip. And let's finish this paragraph. The big dusha. In holiness, the whole cosmic order of holiness, with talking about Eir, which is energy. You're talking about Kalim, which are containers of the energy. You're talking about souls, which come from the marriage of energy and containers. Neshamas come from Eiris and Kalim. All of them, the common denominator is they are all intrinsically alive. Their existence is intrinsic. They can look in the mirror and they know they're alive. They're not dead. They don't have to fake it. This is what we say in Kriyashma every day. Today I want you to meditate on these words. Hu kayam, he exists. Ushmoi kayam, his name exists. V'chisoy nachoin, and his cheer, his throne is upright, it exists. Nachoin means it's intact, it endures. The hu kayam koyal atzmas. Hu represents he, Hashem's essence. Ube prati yusi yusir ala oir. More specifically, it refers to Hashem's light. The light, the energy, the life force of Hashem called Oyer exists intrinsically, not circumstantially. There's Hu Kayam and there's Shmoy Kayam. The name exists, endures, that's the Kalem, the vessels. They too are intrinsically alive, as we will see. And Kisei goes on the Neshama, which comes from Hu and Shmoi. Hu Kayam, Ushmoi Kayam, Vechisei, Vechisei, 
which represents neshamas, or befrat neshamas a tzaddikim sheim kisay shalakadosh baruch The souls of tzaddikim are called the throne of Hashem. We have, he says in footnote 40, the Gemara in Brachis Lamed Beis, Kisei Shal Sholosh Regalim Avram Yitzhak and Yaakov. The throne of the four, of three legs, Avram, Yitzhak and Yaakov, and you have the fourth leg of David Amelech. So they're called Kisei Shal Gemara A soul is intrinsically alive. Now this all needs explanation. What does it mean it's intrinsically alive? That's going to be the next piece, which we're going to continue tomorrow, but Ezer Hashem, Blineder, 7.30 in the morning. I'm going to take some questions now. I'm going to look at these questions. 10 o'clock, we're having our Shir Rambam. Everybody's invited here. One hour. Come back 10 o'clock, and we're going to have our Shir Rambam. We're going to continue the introduction of the Rambam to Mishnah Torah. If you want to review the Shir, the first Shir was on Friday. You could see it on the yeshiva.net. And today we're going to continue the... Shear, the shear is going to be between 20 and 30 minutes a day. Bli nadir, that's going to be the average time of the Rambam class. Everybody's invited to come back 10 o'clock right here on the yeshiva.net. Let's see the questions. Our friend Bob Dylan, that Halika misguided Neshama said, he's not busy being born. He's busy dying in a song called, It's All Right Ma, I'm Only Bleeding. He's not busy being born. He's busy dying. Next. Hashem vivifies all of us, every level and part of creation, including the Yitzhahara. Who gave the Yitzhahara the ability to be conniving? Obviously Hashem. Given the start of camps for kids, it reminds me of the famous idea of color war. An arbitrary division of the entire complete entity, the world is camp, into two divisions, and then the grand divider sits back and watches the plays and the skits. It is guaranteed that, considering Mashiach must eventually come, the outcome for this war, at least on the national scale, but perhaps not on every individual, is that the side of Kedusha and Holy will win. We're part of a grand cosmic board game where the outcome is predetermined, but our collective and cumulative choices can merely hasten, but not alter the eventual outcome. <laughs> Very interesting. Okay. I was. You said before we should check if a thought, word, or action, and ask ourselves if it's leading to positive, good results indeed, indeed, and, and reality and actions... There's a commonly used expression when somebody wants to challenge a certain plan or path or decision taken by another. How is that working out for you? Sometimes that is used somewhat sarcastically when it's obvious, at least outwardly, that the plan isn't working too well. But the idea is similar. The difference is that one should ask oneself and do so honestly as opposed to another asking when failure of the plan seems obvious. Is that what you mean we should really be asking how is that working out for you? Yes, very well said. Very well said, yeah. I like that. How is it working out for you? I just want to make a little correction, and that is the outcome of Kedusha prevailing is not just on a national level, it's also on an individual level. Bal yidach mimenu nidach. Every soul will ultimately come back to a tikkun. In other words, if, it, if the soul is divine energy, if the soul is divine energy, it will find a tikkun at the end, also individually. Can you please do one or two events weekly for Australia because of our different time zone? Well, 7.30 in the morning is not so late by you, right? It's, it's, it's at night. You can join us. So tomorrow morning we have a 7.30 shear, and you can always watch the replay. 
Okay, Chavra, have a beautiful, beautiful day. It was a pleasure having you. I love you all. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.